guests with us this morning. It's a perfect time to be here. We're starting a new new series around here. About I don't, I'm not sure I planned it this way, but about half the time we'll go through a, a topic. We'll, we'll spend several weeks uh, in a series on a topic, and then the other half of the time we walk through uh, books of the Bible. And so uh, this morning we're going to be starting a book of the Bible, Colossians. The reason we do that is because very, very rarely um, do we remember specific sermons. Uh, you may remember one or two, but you've been through countless uh, Sunday morning sermons, uh, listened to countless sermons, and you probably remember a handful of them. But uh, while we don't remember sermons all the time, very often, we do remember big pictures. And uh, so my hope is the reason we walk through books, do spend multiple weeks on one particular topic, is so that as we move forward in life, uh, we would remember those, those big pictures uh, that, that God wants to teach us in his word. So, down the line, when I'm thinking about family, when I'm thinking about my family, I'm going to go, okay, I don't really remember what I studied or, or talked about or that particular, one of those particular sermons. But I do remember this, this idea that I'm supposed to be Christ in this, in this family. Like, I, I play the role of Christ. If you're, if you're a guest with us, that's what we just talked about um, in, our, in our previous series. But I play the role of Christ. In this, in this family. Now, I'm going to fall short of that. I'm going to lean to his grace when I fall short of that. But that's the role that I play as a husband, as a dad. Wives play that role as well. So, and moms. And so we talked about that even in our singleness. We play the role of, of Christ to a culture, to a group of people. And so we, uh, we lean into that as, because we don't remember specific sermons. Also, this time last year, we were in 1 Peter. I don't remember any of the sermons from 1 Peter. I'm just being honest with you. And I studied for them. I know you don't either probably. But here's what I do remember. That trials and difficulties are going to come in this life. And um, God is working in the midst of those trials. He sees from, from a beginning of history to the end of history. This arc of, of, of uh, the history of the world. He sees it all. In fact, he is where he is in every point of those. So you know, 1700s, he doesn't remember 1700s. He is there now. And in 2017, back then, he didn't remember, he didn't know what was coming in 2017. He was here then. Like, that's, that boggles my mind. But in, in the midst of those trials and, and tribulations in that arc of history, he is at work in the midst of that. And First Peter teaches us that. And we learn that over the course of a few weeks. I don't remember any sermons, but I remember that trials are coming. Difficulties are coming, and God's working in the midst of those trials and difficulties. Exodus the same way. There are big pictures. And so I'm hoping that as we look at Colossians, that there's going to be a big ideas or, or specific truths, big picture truths that are going to be taught to us that you'll remember long after you forget these sermons. So, for example, one of the things we're going to end up seeing is that this book is one of the most overtly Christ-centered books in all of the Bible. I mean, it's overtly about Jesus. Now that's saying something because Jesus himself said, all the Bible is about me. You're, you're studying as if it's something. No, it's about someone. It's about me. And yet, even, in, even though that's true, you're going to see, hopefully, that um, this book is more overtly centered on the person of Jesus than just about any other uh, book in the Bible. And so, as this unfolds, um, I'm hoping that that's one of the big picture things that you'll see as we look the next six, seven weeks that we're in it. 
So that kind of as a, a beginning, an intro to our intro, let's pray and then we'll jump right in. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that as we study Colossians over the next few weeks that you would show us some ideas, some big picture truths that will stay with us for the years to come and will mold us, make us into the image of your son a little bit more every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you're turning to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to lay a foundation this morning that we're going to build on over the, in, in the coming weeks. So if it feels like kind of a, 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 hang, a, hang, a cliffhanger ending, easy for me to say, cliffhanger ending, that's because we're, we're building a foundation that we're going to build on in the next few weeks. You'll just have to come back. Um, as you're turning to Colossians chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Let me set up what's going on. The Apostle Paul, the missionary Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, is um, on a missionary journey. And he take, it takes him to this city called Ephesus. And he spends two years there sharing the gospel, planting a church there in the city of Ephesus. People are hearing about what is going on, that there's this movement known as the Way happening. People are hearing about this man named Jesus, who was God in the flesh, lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose victoriously... Uh, they're hearing about uh, this man named Jesus, and uh, uh, news is beginning to spread all throughout the area. There are a couple men who are not even from Ephesus. They either hear about what's going on, or they're in the town, in the city for business. We don't really know, but they're in this town, Ephesus, and they hear about this man named Paul and the news that, he's, that he is, is sharing about this man named Jesus. And they go to the church, this, this uh, place, this gathering of people. Um, to find out what's going on. While they're there hearing Paul preach, they are gripped in their heart. They are compelled to believe by faith in this man named Jesus. And it grips them. I mean, it, it changes them forever. It, it's so compelling. This truth is so compelling. This man named Jesus is so compelling to these two men, to these two men, uh, that they have to to take it back to their hometown of Colossae and share with people there what they have heard from this man named Paul. They take this back, and this man, this man named Epaphras and this man named Philemon plant a church in a city that has never heard the name of Jesus before. Their hometown in Colossae. They plant this church, and faith begins to take root. And they begin to share with their neighbors about this man named Jesus. And they begin to, they, they, they decide, they're compelled. They want to know more about this man named Jesus that their neighbor's talking about. And they come to uh, Philemon's house, we actually find out, later in the New Testament. They come to this man named Philemon's house, and they, and they come to, to uh, uh, they hear about this man named Jesus. They come to church, this new church that's been planted in the city. Well, as this church begins to grow and faith begins to take root and hope begins to invade hopelessness, a church is born. And Epaphras is the leader of that church. Well, as with any church, um, issues begin to arise. The issues that, that, that need to be dealt with. And Epaphras needs um, direction. And he needs leadership. He, he needs um, to know how to deal with these, with these two particular issue, issues. So he goes to Paul, who's in prison, and asks him, how do I deal with these issues that are going on in my church? Two in particular. Here they are. Number one, the, the, these, uh, this church, these people that I'm leading, are devoted to Christ, but their neighbors are polytheistic. We're from a polytheistic culture. 
And they are, while they have Jesus as the most important person in, in their worship, they're adding these other things, these other deities to their worship. So Jesus is important to them, but their neighbor down the street wakes up earlier than them, goes outside and starts bowing to this little idol. And they decide, you know what, he's a pretty good guy. He seems pretty devoted. I'm just going to take that idol and add him to Jesus. And the neighbor on the other side um, stays up later than me. He seems like a pretty good guy, takes care of his family pretty good. What he's worshiping um, seems a little bit weird. Yeah, I get that, but he's a good guy. I'm just going to add what he's worshiping to my Jesus as well. And they, there's this polytheistic culture that's invading, and they're adding things to Jesus and to their worship of him. And Epaphras knows that this seems like a problem to me. I need to find out from Paul, how do I deal with it? And Paul sees this as compromise and will have none of it. It's not Jesus with some other things added that roots us in our faith. No, it is Jesus exclusively. And then there's, there's pressure from the other side of the aisle, so to speak, as well. There are some Jews that are believers that, that, um, that have come to know Christ. And they have come to these Gentile believers and they've said, hey, if you want your worship to be complete, if you want it to be whole, then you need to add a little Judaism to your, to your uh, Christianity, to your following Jesus, to this, this uh, group known as the way. We need to sprinkle a little Judaism on it and then our worship's going to be complete. So there are sacred holidays that we need to keep. There's a, a diet uh, that, that we've been taught that we need to keep as well. And we definitely need to add circumcision to, we, to, to it as well. So if you want your worship to be complete, then you need, to, you need to sprinkle a little Judaism on it. And then we will get there. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's compromise as well. It is Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. And so Epaphras goes to Paul. And he finds this out. And instead of giving uh, Epaphras all of this list of things that he needs to tell the church back in Colossae that he's leading, Paul instead pins a letter. And he confronts these two things himself as he encourages them on to Christ's likeness. And so this morning, what we're going to do, like I said, we're just going to lay a foundation. In his intro, he's going to get to those two things eventually. And he's going to address them. But in his intro... He's just going to, to welcome them. He's going to give a, a, a welcome, thank them, um, let them know that he's heard a lot of great things going on, that their church is actually healthy. Yes, there's these pressure points. True. We've got we to deal with those, and we will eventually. But there is a healthy church that has been born from nothing in the city of Colossae. It's a healthy church because Paul has heard from several different people, several different testimonies of their faith, their hope. And their love. And that is evidence of a healthy church. And Paul is going to commend them before addressing these pressure points that we'll look at in a few weeks. But this week, I just want to look at those, this commendation of faith, hope, and love this morning. So, verse 1, chapter 1 of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Stop right there real quick. Just uh, Paul, he, he, he leverages this position of apostleship. He says, I'm an apostle. Here's what that means. Uh, the 12 people that saw the risen Jesus, risen Savior, plus Paul, and I would actually add Jesus' half-brother James. These are the guys that wrote all of the New Testament or those that were closely associated with them. Thinking about uh, the Dr. Luke. He wasn't one of the, the uh, 
followers or, or uh, uh, the disciples or apostles, but he was closely associated with, with several of them. And he wrote uh, Luke and, and then Acts. But all of the apostles wrote the New Testament or were those that were closely associated with him, and they, they um, are the ones that signs and wonders were worked through. It was just a special position, a special office that Jesus, or, or excuse me, God gave through the power of the Holy Spirit to a few people. And Paul is claiming that that uh, office is held by him. He's leveraging this position. We know it's true because his writings made it into the canon, into the Bible. Um, we, so he is leveraging this position so that the words that he writes will have added weight and they will be listened to by the church in Colossae. So he uses this many times in his, in his letters. This is one of them. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this we have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. As it, that's the gospel, also does among you since the day you heard it, the gospel, and understood the grace of God in truth. Verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul, as I mentioned, has heard testimony from several different people. We'll see it as the book unfolds. But he's heard testimony, different testimony from different people. And here is what he has heard over and over and over again. They're a healthy church. How does he know that if he's never even visited this city before? Never visited these believers. How do we know they're a healthy church? Why? Or how? Because they, these te the testimony is regularly about their faith, their hope, and their love. Their faith, their hope, and their love. And so we see the Apostle Paul actually address that at the beginning of this chapter. Look at this. Three things Paul acknowledges about the Colossians church. Number one, they have a, their, their faith is a miracle. Their faith is a miracle. Look at verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, their faith is rooted in Christ Jesus. I, I have a quote from, from Tim Keller. It says, it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. And Paul is acknowledging that their faith is rooted in the right person, in Jesus Christ. This, this church has been born when Epaphras and a Philemon came back and faith is, is, is beginning to take root in this young church. And not just faith in, in, in uh, various things, but faith rooted in Christ Jesus. And the, 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 the result is this city now has a light, a hope where there was hopelessness, a light where there was darkness, faith where there was no faith, rooted in the person of Jesus who is not shaken by this world, who's not shaken when the stock market crashes, is not moved when the earth shakes literally and buildings begin to fall. Their faith is rooted in Christ. Not only that, but he also acknowledges that they have a love, a love for other believers. Look at the end of verse 4. 
It says, since we heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. I put in my notes, there's an inseparable link between loving God and loving his church. And Paul acknowledges that this is a fruit that is seen in the church of Colossae, the Colossian church. Barna Group, it's a research group, found that 11% of Americans label themselves as spiritual but not religious. Just recently they added another label. Those who love Jesus but not the church. These are people who profess to be Christians. They profess to love Jesus but they just can't stand the church. A few years ago there was a trend on social media. Several different, several different platforms. Uh, th- these people, uh, the, the the trend that went viral were different people who would hold up their phone and they would say um, that that they love God, but they can't stand the church because of a certain stance that the church has. And the Bible, over and over and over and over again, says that this is not true. First John says it this way: If you profess to love God but you don't love His church, then you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. There is an inseparable link between loving God and loving other believers. Now, I'm not saying that we affirm everything that the church does throughout history. Goodness, no. I mean, some of it is terrible. Some of the things that happen, you know, by, by, by churches, professing churches today, we, we would never stand with or stand for. But yet... The Bible tells us over and over and over again that if you profess to love God, you're going to love his body, the the church. You're going to love his bride, the church. There's an inseparable link between the two. And that was evident in the church in Colossae. Not only that, but he also said... That their hope is in heaven. He said, I see that your faith is rooted in Christ. I see this this undeniable love for other believers, for the church. I see, I've heard stories about when when somebody got a bad report at the doctor that the church showed up and and supported that family. I heard about when there was an accident, when when, when, when somebody lost a life tragically, that this church, there in Colossae, that the church, the body of Christ showed up and ministered to that family. I've heard story after story after story about how you have loved your brothers and sisters in Christ well, and it is evidence of your health as a body of Christ. Heard about that. But I also heard one other thing. That your hope is rooted in heaven. That your hope is in heaven. Look at verse 5. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Their hope was in heaven. This may not be the best news that you get today, but it is true. You are going to die. You're going to die. It always makes me laugh about once a year you hear about these studies uh, of of mortality rates in countries. And they'll compare and contrast them. And every time I read that, I know what they're getting at, I understand. But every time I I hear those uh, studies about the mortality rate in the United States versus the mortality rate in in another country, it makes me laugh. I think just send all that money to Wellspring and I'll just tell you it's 100%. 
Like every time, every person that borns, that is born is gonna die. It's an inescapable truth. I'm going to your, or you, um, I'm doing your funeral, or going to your funeral, or you're coming to mine. It's an inescapable truth. You can sit in your yoga positions for six hours a day. You're gonna die. You can work out for two or three hours before my eyes ever open in the morning. You are not going to make it out of this world alive. You may shop at Trader Joe's. You may think it is acceptable to watch a football game while eating a salad. You are going to die. It's an inescapable truth. Not only that, you may, you may acknowledge, yeah, that's true. I, I get that, Scott. I understand playing around a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. I'm going to make it to 95, 100, 90, 89, 90. I've been the pastor here for five years. Every single year, I've done the funeral of someone that did not expect to pass away that year. If that is true, if that is true, where is your hope rooted? If that is true, and history tells us it is, somebody in this room or in one of the previous services is going to die this year and they don't expect it. Where is your hope rooted? Where is your hope placed? If death is a reality, where is your hope placed? Let me tell you where most of the people have placed their hope. In being a pretty good person. You know what? I'm pretty good. I take care of my family. I've got a good job. I, I look out for my neighbor. I'm, I'm definitely better than the smoke down the street. I'm a pretty good guy. And if that's, since I'm a pretty good guy, then everything's going to work itself out all right in eternity. That's quite the gamble. Where are you placing your hope this morning? Where's your hope rooted? The Apostle Paul said that there was evidence in the church that he's addressing that their hope was rooted in, in a place that this world cannot touch. That their faith was rooted in a place that the stock market couldn't shake. Their hope was rooted in a place that a bad doctor's visit could not shake. I was in a hospital room not too long ago. A man got a bad report from the doctor. Tragic, actually. He didn't have very long to live. And my response to him was this. Now you are aware of what is true for all of us. He, he just knows it. And then I follow that up by saying, I could be killed in a car accident on the way home from the hospital today, visiting you. You're simply aware of what is true for all of us. Is your hope rooted in a place that is outside, that cannot be touched by this world? 
it was for the church in Colossae, the Colossian believers were rooted in a place. Their, their hope was rooted in a place that could not be touched by this world. I want to end this way. Look at verse, look at verse uh, 5, the end of verse 5. It says, of this you have heard before the word of, of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It, that's the gospel, is bearing fruit and increasing. As it, the gospel, also does among you. Since the day you heard it, the gospel, and understood the grace of God in truth. So here is how, here's how I want to end this morning. This is kind of how Paul ends his introduction. He says, all of this stuff that I've talked about, faith, hope, and love, the gospel, evidence of the gospel. This is fruit of the gospel. I have seen that uh, where, where it took place, where it started in Jerusalem. The day that Peter uh, preached at Pentecost, he, he talked about uh, this man named Jesus who lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose victoriously, and then in doing so offers faith, hope, and love to every person. He offers it to every person. And those who will, by faith, respond to that can receive faith, hope, and love. Through the grace of God. He said, I saw it start in Jerusalem. And then I carried this good news, this gospel, up to Rome and to Ephesus. And when I was in Ephesus, I was there for a couple years. When I was there, I shared it with a man named Epaphras and a man named Philemon. And they received it by faith, this gospel. And the evidence of it is faith, hope, and love. And they brought it to you. And now I see evidence of faith, hope, and love. But it hasn't stopped with you. It's begun to make its way through Turkey and up and to Europe. And from Europe, I saw it travel across the, the Atlantic Ocean. Not, not the Apostle Paul, but us. We saw it travel across the Atlantic Ocean into North America. A place now known as the United States of America. It started on the East Coast. This message about a man named Jesus who... God in the flesh lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose victoriously, and offers faith, hope, and love to those who will believe. And began to move west. And it didn't stop at our borders. It, it continued on around the world. Now China, new, uh, innumerable, innumerable number of people hearing about this man named Jesus, God in the flesh, who, died, who lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose victoriously, and will offer faith, hope, and love to those who would believe. And the Apostle Paul is, state, is making this claim that no matter what culture this gospel um, penetrates, it works. It works there. It's what people need. It's what people long for. It's the hope that every person searches for. And we've seen it happen time after time. Decade after decade, century after century, culture after culture, this gospel, this good news, penetrating hearts, minds, cultures, for all who would believe. I've seen it with my own eyes in Lebanon, sitting in a tent with people who in the past have professed to be Muslims. I've said, no, 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 that doesn't offer the hope. The faith and the love that I need, that my heart longs for, but Jesus does. I've seen it in Haiti, among the poorest of the poor. I've seen it in Ukraine, some people that, 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 that are very wealthy by the, earth, by the world's standards. 
seen it in the United States as well. This gospel is what every person needs. And the Apostle Paul acknowledges beyond what he could have ever comprehended that the gospel works wherever it goes. So with that as a foundation, we're going to build over the next few weeks as we push our way through Colossians. Let's pray. Father, I pray that faith, hope, and love would be the fruit of our salvation. That grace, as it begins to, to do its work in us, would produce faith, hope, and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.